Welcome to the Curious Entrepreneurs podcast. Uh, today, I've got an amazing guest with me, uh, John O'Brien, MBE, and um, he is a, a phenomenal uh, entrepreneurial change agent. So um, beyond just being the EMEA managing partner at 100, which is Omnicon's um, ethically purpose-driven consortium consisting of nine Omnicon's leading uh, global agencies, he's also the founder of Anthropy. Now, Anthropy, um, is a, the largest cross-sector collaboration the UK has ever seen. Um, we're all getting together at the Eden Project in November um, to talk around these huge questions around people, place, and prosperity. <clears throat> so it starts with a question, which is about um, what is the quality of life um, that we expect for the people living in Britain for the next 30 years? Um, then you're on to place, which is around the infrastructure of the place that's going to enable that and also prosperity. So what makes a good economy that's going to enable all of that? Um, John's also a best-selling author, um, <clears throat> phenomenal uh, speaker, and he's been a bit of a mentor to me uh, at a distance and directly um, since I met him. He's just a, a phenomenal uh, inspiration um, to what we're doing over here and, and a real supporter of, um, of our background. So John's got so much experience um, that I want to tap into, um, so I won't delay any further let's get straight into the interview thank you so much for joining me john i'm I, I, honestly i'm so excited to have you here um you've been a wonderful mentor um from afar and in the direct conversations that we've had and and the network that you've introduced me to as well um i've had uh, equal amounts of overwhelm in just the the intellect and the experience of your network, but also huge inspiration uh, to drive me to do what we're doing now with Curious Entrepreneurs. So firstly, thank you for joining me. Great pleasure to be here. It's yeah, lovely to be invited. Thank you. Top man. And um, so we always start with the same question. So um, the first question for you today is what sparks your curiosity? And when I ask that question, I'm asking you at a point of now, what, what is it that you're curious about? Um, and what are you exploring currently? Mm. Well, Alex, it's a great question. Actually, one of the challenges with interviewing me is I often won't ask, answer the question, but I'm going to use it as a start point if that's okay. So curiosity, when I saw that it was the curious entrepreneur, I thought, what a fantastic title. Because actually, whatever stage in life, if you're younger, if you're a bit older like I am, you're starting out, or you can be well-established, curiosity is something that we all should try and ensure that we always have. And there's a number of different reasons for that. So yes, I will answer the question, say what I'm curious about going forward, but actually throughout my life, and it's only now that I look back and see how important curiosity was. So curiosity, I, I grew up in a very sort of uh, sheltered existence in a rural county, but it was curiosity that took me out of that. It was curiosity that took me beyond what was the expectation perhaps of family and my background. And it's always been for me something which drives that sort of sense of appetite for life. So what's on the other side of the hill? Well, that makes me want to travel. You know, what's happening in technology? Because that makes me want to better understand what people are embracing now as new forms of business and things. You know, what motivates people in different forms of life? That makes me read lots of books, et cetera, et cetera. Curiosity can take different forms, but I think that it's one of the inherently important characteristics if you're going to be an entrepreneur, and frankly, if you're going to maximize your life. So. That was just to say how important it is. I think it's a great title for the podcast. What makes me curious today, I suppose, is inevitably wrapped up with the future of our nation and the future of our world. 
on the basis that we face challenges. And for people in business, they face greater challenges possibly than any previous generation in different, in different ways. But what's happening out there in the world is that there is a need for new solutions. So the curious aspect for me is to understand better what's happening on things like climate change or social impact and issues around things like the energy sector or whatever. Not that I may necessarily even work or contemplate being in that sector or space. But what I'm looking for is where are the people coming up with the same degree of curiosity to form new solutions so that we all benefit as a whole across society. So for me, um, one of the things about curiosity, which I will just share, which people always find a little bit odd, but I would go into a bookshop years and years ago, I go into one of the main waterstones. And one of the tendencies we all have as individuals is that we go to the sections in the book department to look at books that we know we're interested in. So you might have a particular interest and you'll go to that section and you'll walk past medieval poetry or some other strange things because you think, well, I'm not interested in that. And because I was always near this bookshop, always there in an evening, every week for many years, I chose to go to sections of the bookshop that I had no interest or knowledge in. That was about being curious because why would there be shelves of these books? Because other people wanted that. And just because it was outside my experience, that shouldn't be a barrier. So sometimes we have to take ourselves away from what we know is something we're interested in and have that curiosity to go and do something different, even if it's just going and looking at a different section of books in a bookshop. Very simple things that can help the mind get a, a broader picture on society. That gives I you like a bit of Yeah, I like that. I really like that. And you, you alluded to in, in your response there around the challenges that we face now. Obviously, you know, most of our audience are you know, coming into entrepreneurship, maybe in their first kind of five years, um, really using their curiosity to explore that. There's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of noise and it's become quite overwhelming for, for a lot of us. You said it's like one of the biggest, this is the, one of the biggest challenges we, we have ever faced as businesses. Is that right? You know, do you, is, that, is, that, is that right? Or is it, you know, is it overhyped some of it? No. No, you've got a lot of experience and I'd like to understand from previous challenges we've had, how it compares. So I think there's two ways of looking at this and I'm conscious of the audience. So I'll come on to that in a moment. Firstly, if you're a well-established business leader, and what I'm talking about here is not necessarily a self-made entrepreneur, but somebody, although it does apply to them, but if you think of somebody who's come through a business, and I would say being an entrepreneur, you don't necessarily have to be the person that starts the business. You can be entrepreneurial inside a business. You can be entrepreneurial in a charity or in the public sector. It's a mindset that is about exploring. It's a mindset about coming up with solutions and being entrepreneurial in that sector. But if you're a senior business leader or you're running a business now, then I can assure you that when I started my profession, when I first started working for a bank, was actually over 40 years ago. Okay. Wow. Now, I've been working there for full time for longer than most of your subscribers and listeners would have been alive. But when I worked in that bank all those years ago, the leaders of that bank never were asked the challenging questions that such leaders are asked today. They would never have been asked about climate change, never been asked about diversity, never been asked around um, such things as incidents like the death of a black man on the other side of the Atlantic and things like that. It didn't happen. So firstly, if you're in an established leadership position, you have multiple, multiple extreme demands upon your attention, 
and require thoughtful responses in order to make sure that that business still has a license to operate. Now if, you're a young, now, if you're a younger entrepreneur, and I, I taught this not as a young entrepreneur as myself, and I was actually late when I created my business. I didn't create my own business um, until I was my late 40s. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the reality is that, firstly, you have great advantages in that there's never been a greater environment to support entrepreneurs in this country. There are lots of different areas for advice. And of course, one of the great engine that can drive entrepreneurialism is technology. So either the use of the net or new technologies emerging allow you to have a, a breadth and range of opportunity and support beyond that, which would have happened 20 years ago or even less. So that's a good thing. The second aspect around the demands we have is that people are looking for solutions, which means that if you have that new approach and you come, come up with that innovative new solution, then that is a business opportunity. So one of the things you've heard me say before is that if you're starting out in business or if you're establishing business, your mindset shouldn't be about selling something. It should be about solving something. The purpose of business and the purpose of you as an entrepreneur or as a leader should be about solving something which people can then give you value for because you've created a solution that they need. And if you do that ethically and with sustainability as part of the thinking, then you will build a long-term successful business. So the reality is that if the world was perfect, if the world was very comfortable, if none of us were concerned about anything, if we didn't have any needs, it would actually ironically be harder to become an entrepreneur and create a new business because the need isn't there. We're just happy with the status quo. Hmm. But I don't think anybody's content with the status quo. We're not content with the quality of things. We're not content with the way in which we get served. We're not content with the, um, the environmental uh, impact, perhaps, of some of the solutions we have, which means that people are looking for innovation. And that is the sister, that is the sibling to entrepreneurship, as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's a great, yeah, it's a really good response. So there's a lot of hope there. <clears throat> and I think as long as you're... As long as you've got purpose, and that comes down to purpose, right? That all comes back down to purpose. It's building things that matter. And, and actually, you know, from the work that we've done with, with young people in the schools and outside of schools through our programs, I'd say 95% of them come into this with that mindset. They want to solve problems. They, they want to get involved in the, in the solutions for these things, and they want to try and innovate. So actually becoming overwhelmed by the macro is, is, is understandable. Because once you get exposed to it, I remember when we met, John, and, and, and I remember meeting on that strange social media platform, Clubhouse, for a little while, and, and I, you kindly gave me some of your time, and I remember it really well. I was so overwhelmed. I felt so overwhelmed because my, I've been focused on building my businesses and doing my thing, looking after my staff and, and focusing on my surrounding circle. And then suddenly I was being open to all of these other conversations around social and economic development and all the infrastructure requirements, everything we're doing locally here. And I, I remember saying to you, John, I just feel so overwhelmed by everything, but actually, like you said, going down the, the, the book aisles to look at what other people are doing, taking inspiration from that, um, but also that gives you hope because you go, well, actually, I don't need to deal with it all. It's not my problem. It's not all my problem. And that's that, that, that collective approach. So leading yeah. on from that, I want to talk to you about collaboration. You, you, you are such an advocate for collaboration. I mean, and we'll come on to Anthropy and talk about the vision for the ultimate collaboration, I see. Um, but also 
in your experiences, I look through your profile and other people will look through your profile off the back of this and they'll see your experiences, see the, the books you've written, the projects you've been involved in, the projects you're actively involved in now. It screams collaboration. How important is that in, in, in a journey of an entrepreneur? It's, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's absolutely vital. And there are a number of, there are a number of aspects to this. And it shows itself in a variety of different ways. I mean, I have worked with, and I've been a non-exec and advisor on various boards to several young, younger entrepreneurs and startup businesses doing very well, et cetera. But I also get approached from time to time by others saying, this is where I'm at or whatever. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example. There are those entrepreneurs that realize that actually if they're going to create their business, they may have a fantastic idea. They may have done all the legwork that they need to understand the market exists, et cetera. But, you know, with the greatest respect, if you're in your mid twenties or something, you don't necessarily know how markets work. You don't necessarily know how marketing works. You don't necessarily know how finance works. You don't know these things. And of course you can learn them on the job and you can learn as many people have done and navigated them very well, et cetera. But the fast forward way of getting that knowledge is to share that sense of vision for your business with others who can care and share about the same thing. Now, this isn't about giving stuff away necessarily, but it's about actually getting other people to buy into the success potential of your business. And the best way to do that is to find people aligned, not necessarily even around the product, but aligned with the values and what you're trying to solve. Mm. So actually, I mean, one of the classic examples that I helped advise was a business called Goodloop. Oh, I love Good Loop. I was, I was so inspired by Good Loop. Amazing. Amy Williams, founder of Good Loop. She came up with an idea to radically innovate in the digital advertising space and create revenue for nonprofit causes at the same time. But she had no knowledge of the technical aspect of what a digital platform would be required to do. So she simply shared that out into some sort of forum. And in that way, somebody kept popped up and said, I think I can help you with this. And he became a co-founder because he had the technical know-how to help her realize the vision for her business. They are now a multi-million pound business expanding into the US. She is an extraordinary entrepreneur, but she would acknowledge straight away that she couldn't have got there without firstly her co-founder's technical knowledge. And then secondly, of course, other people that came around her with investment knowledge and other aspects of helping that business. So it's all credit to her as the entrepreneur, extraordinary example, but she would give credit to everybody else that's allowed her to maximize her own potential and maximize that idea. And, you know, to be frank, I've done a lot of different things in life you've alluded to. I've worked in the public sector. I've worked in the military. Um, I've worked in charities and nonprofits. I've created my own business or whatever. And one of the earliest lessons that I think people need to learn is to share the vision of the business don't keep everything to yourself. I, I think you'll be fair, you'll acknowledge I give away all my contacts. I give away all my knowledge. I mean, sometimes my business partners will kick me under the table. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> reality is, you know, it makes me feel better if I can help somebody else on their journey. And why would you try and control this? I mean, people often say to me, oh, John, I've got this idea, but, you know, before I share this idea with you, I want you to sign this any NDA and all this and I say you know you either trust me or you don't do you think I'm really going to run off with an idea if that's the approach you have to others you're instantly putting a barrier in front of in front of that potential partnership and the reality is that 
you know, if you're approaching people about getting advice or investment or something like that, they're not going to run off with their idea because they get inundated with these things all the time. So, you know, there's different approaches, but collaboration absolutely key, I think, to that journey. Amazing, amazing, and 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 it's and you've you kind of touched on a few things there. Um, one is around kind of uh, those that have walked the path before you. Um, the other is around finding other people that care. But does, is it fair to say that starts with you as an individual? You know, how do you, how can you invite other people in if you don't know who you are? So, how, you know, have you got any advice for people around you? You shared with me before you come on, you've had a bit of a, a bit of a digital detox um, whilst you've been away and you've had some time in your own head. Um, I, how much of an advocate are you for that self-discovery piece before you go and find other people to get involved in? Because just speaking from my own experience, when I first got into business, I share this, um, I share this experience with our cohorts a lot. Um, I had a really quite a bad mentor. It was someone who I didn't realize at the time they had the, I looked for the success. So I was, I came into the market, you know, as you know, you know, my story, I, I left school at 14. I, I wasn't really, I didn't have any, the right circles around me at the time. So I wanted to find other people. I looked around for success those that were showing it, driving the fancy cars and whatever else you get, you know, you get attracted to all this stuff. And they, and one of the advice they gave me, they said, oh no, you've got to wear a suit and you know, you've got to um, turn up to these kind of exclusive meetings and various other things. And I can remember walking into the office with my team. I came in wearing a suit. I usually, this is my getup, you know, I'm always wearing my Curious Entrepreneur t-shirt or I'm just trying to be me. Uh, but I turned up in this suit acting this way that just, it just wasn't me. And what, yeah. what happened, what happened next, which was even worse, I went into business with someone who got attracted to that. And then right. when we had a bit of success, it all fell down because I just couldn't, I just couldn't find the motivation. I felt like this, this, I don't know, this knot in my stomach was being created because I just wasn't being my true self. So do you have any advice for people in find a, a self-discovery piece? <laughs> yes. So I think, so, so firstly, I would say if you're starting out today, if you look at what one might see as the trappings or expectations around things like press, et cetera, they're entirely different to what they were 10 years, 20 years, even pre-lockdown. But I do think you raise an important point here, which is um, there won't be anything necessarily revealing about this, but the one thing that you as an individual, as an entrepreneur should always have is your own authentic knowledge about what you are, your value set and things of that kind. I think it's a natural thing when you're starting out as a young entrepreneur or an entrepreneur at any point, you look at people who appear to have been on that journey and been successful on that journey. And if they behave in a certain way, unless it's really alien to the way in which you would behave, then it's a natural thing for those that are less experienced or younger or whatever to perhaps follow and try and you know, act in, in that sort of way. The critical thing from my perspective is it's not about wearing a suit or wearing a t-shirt, whatever the case may be. I'll come on to that point in a moment. Critical thing is whether or not you are, your values and your authentic sense of being a person, your, the individual way in which you have um, sort of ethics, I suppose, the way in which you think about people, et cetera, it's whether or not that is aligned with the people that you align yourself with, be it a mentor, be it a business partner, be it your employees. Now, you can be successful and you can be a right bastard. You can, you, know, you can squeeze the pips on everything and all the rest of it. But I have to say, history shows us again and again and again that those people will get to the top and they'll be pulled down. 
Yeah. Because basically, that's not the way in which a society like ours really allows people to prosper in the long term. I don't, I'm sure that the nature of the people listening to this podcast are not those that are only motivated by the pound sign. I'm sure that's the case. Absolutely. So I think you surround yourself with people who may not even have anything to do with your business, but friends and family, etc., who buy into your approach to the world and what you're trying to do. You know, treating people with respect. I mean, I'll give you little things. When I had one organisation headquartered in Manchester, I was running, and we moved into new offices. I consolidated four offices into one from the northwest into one. And I wanted to create a new culture of these new teams coming together. And we used to have senior business leaders coming in. But we also, by virtue of some of the initiatives that we ran, had homeless people coming in, the rest of it. And one day I noticed that one of the managers was greeting in some of the homeless clients that we'd been working with and doing some mentoring. And instead of using the China cups and sauces and putting the biscuits on the plate, which we always used to do when our business leaders came in, they took out a whole bunch of chip mugs and all the rest of it. Wow. Now, that was because they perceived that the homeless people you know, might damage the, the China cups or whatever the case may be. I absolutely stopped that straight away. It's all in the way in which we treat each other as people. It's all in the way in which we respect each other and know that there, by the grace of God, go any of us. We could all be made homeless. We could all have issues. That, you, know, we, you know, we have all known people that have been knocked sideways by tragic personal circumstances. So, so I think if you've got those values, those are the authentic things. Now I'll contradict you slightly, Alex, around <laughs> Dressing. Good, I love it. I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but the circumstances can sometimes dictate the need for mm. people to present themselves in a certain way. Now, this is not about changing the authentic values or ethics, but I'll give you the example. When I went into the army, which was a long time ago, the vast majority of army officers were ex-public school, and they came from well-to-do backgrounds often had private incomes, et cetera. Now, I am not ex-public school. People think I am, I'm not. I'm the end of the grammar school era. I didn't have a personal income. I'm middle-class, you know, shopkeepers lad, so to speak. But when I arrived and looked at the environment that I was going into and wanted to succeed in, I knew there were certain ways in which people dressed. I'm not talking about the military uniform. I'm talking about how you dress in your- Yeah, of course, yeah. How, yeah, how you present yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I wanted to succeed in that world. And I knew that if I was going to succeed in that world, rather than put up barriers in my way, then yes, I would go and get a certain type of suit or sports jacket or whatever the case may be. That did me no harm. That didn't uh, address the way in which I felt about people, the ethics or the values that I had. It just meant that I felt comfortable and confident that I was fitting in. Now, everybody has to make their own judgment on this, but the reality is we all know that if you're going to a bunch of city financiers to gain investment in your business or something of that kind, you'll either go to those that actually will wear a T-shirt and couldn't give two hoops because they've been on a similar journey, or you might end up going in front of people who actually think, well, if, if they haven't bothered to actually put an, you know, a shirt and tie on, why should I bother with them? You have to make that judgment as an individual. But I wouldn't say it's always wrong to try and conform to expectations. I was once told by the managing partner, I think, of a law firm in front of a big event we were talking at, 
I'd engaged them actually, funnily enough, on a national enterprise competition that I'd created many years ago. And the law partner turned up and said, well, when we first met John O'Brien, he looked like us, so we thought he was like us, but actually we realized he's a revolutionary in a suit. Nice. Going in, it allowed me to put them at ease and then change the way in which they thought about things and change their practices. So there are different ways and different means of doing this, I think, but fundamentally, don't let your values, don't get your authentic things. And that's why also having a touch point with your family and friends is so important when you've got the entrepreneurial journey ahead of you. Love that. What a great response. Uh, thank you for that. Um, so <clears throat> we talk about performing there essentially um, and personal brand almost because there's a big, big subject for you know, a lot of people building in public which, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a massive advocate for. I've, I've benefited massively from building in public, um, both myself as a character uh, and, my, and, and myself evolving over time, but also my businesses. I've always tried to build some level in public. I know you've been doing that with Anthropy. I, I saw your video on um, LinkedIn with your walls, with the whole oh, agenda. Yes. And I thought, this is wonderful because it just... It, it brings us in, you know, obviously I've been involved from the very start and we've been having a lot of, you know, a lot of meetings and, we'll, and I will come on to Anthropy in a minute, but just want to touch on personal brand because you, you've got so much experience when it comes to uh, marketing and, and to, in today's world, so I think some people could, it's fair to say, can lose themselves a little bit in that kind of pursuit because they throw their entire life and their energy into these things um, to the point where you may even change your Twitter handle to the the brands that you're 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 representing at that time, yeah. you know, and and it's not all social media related, I know. Um, but what are your general thoughts around personal brand, um, and how important it is to develop that alongside your brands that you're building? Yeah. So, well, it's really interesting. Of course, there was no such thing as a personal brand ten years ago. No, no, I imagine not. No. But I mean, when you look at it, I, I think there's 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 opportunities and there's risks and pitfalls. So firstly, if we go back to what I previously said about the authenticity of the value set that you have, et cetera, then they should be the core aspect of your brand in the same way that if you have a product, the brand values of that product or how it performs and the qualities that have gone into making that product, then basically the brand values to yourself as an individual are how you perform and what makes up you as a character. And they should never be uh, falsified or diluted in any shape or form because ultimately, effectively, you're fabricating a front. So again, I come back to this word authenticity. If you're building a personal brand associated with your business or whatever, then it should be authentic. It should be reflective of how you behave because otherwise when people get into an actual engagement with you or your business, if that doesn't mirror up to the way in which they viewed the brand social media or otherwise, there's a disconnect. What we say is, we call it the say-do gap. You say one thing, but you do and behave in a different way. So I think if you're a young entrepreneur and you're setting up, undoubtedly many people have built some extraordinary businesses and brands based on social media alone now. Um, I think you stand by the authenticity. I'll give you a live example. My daughter, who's uh, in her 20s, she picked up on a brand, somebody creating a new brand of uh, leisure wear. She was really engaged by the social stuff that he used to put out. Uh, so this is great, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy a top. I'm gonna be supportive of this new entrepreneur, blah, blah. Um, 
but without going into detail, the service was horrendous. It was absolutely appalling. Wow. Um, and so having engaged a community and in, besides you know, my daughter's experience, then she's completely turned away from that brand, completely turned disillusioned with it because of the poor service and everything that came back. So I think you've got to make sure that you don't create that false expectation, make sure it's authentic and then deliver on that expectation. I think the real challenge that I see, and I see it sadly with people that I've, I've known, um, is where they think that they have to ape certain behavior on social media to gain followings. Mm. And you know, frankly, they're not doing themselves any service whatsoever. So you and I both met and you alluded to the fact we met through Clubhouse and I met some other people through Clubhouse and they, there are some really decent people there who I think professionally are you know, pretty good at what they do. But I've seen over the last 12 months some of their social posts and things like that. And there is no, if, if they were not putting that stuff out, then I'd be happy to introduce them to third parties. But because yeah. they're behaving in a certain way, even though I wish them well, they're not going to be in the parties. They're not going to be introduced because actually it shows a flaw in my mind, either of their professionalism or it shows a flaw in their ability to understand that they shouldn't be fabricating something which is different to their own character. And this is the sad thing. We, are, we all run the risk of being seduced by followers and all this, that and the other. It actually means very, very little. The substance of the business primarily is about delivering that solution. And you know, that's where the values come down. And I think that, I mean, the final thing I'd say is that if you're building, a, if you're building your own personal brand aligned with a product or a business, then you have to understand and appreciate that the business might fail. Mm. But that will be ultimately associated with you as a person, as an individual. If you take somebody who's been, you know, probably the greatest illustration of this for decades, it's Richard Branson, who built the Virgin brand and then grew it out and out and out and out. But everybody knows that if Virgin fails, it backfires on Richard Branson personally. And that's what you as a younger entrepreneur or somebody starting out need to realize, that if you become associated with the failure of business so closely aligned with your own personal identity, then there may be a real challenge of then picking yourself up and going forward into the next stage. Brilliant. Brilliant advice, John, and, and uh, leaning on your own experiences around it too. So I want to, so there's two more subjects I want to talk to you about. One is education, and I'll finish on education um, and link to entrepreneurship. But I want to talk about anthropy um, because this has been just so inspiring to, to see it all come together. And I know it's a work in progress. And I know there's a, a long vision for what we're trying to achieve here. But I want to start with the, at the front end of it. So where did the idea come from? Because this is such a, I mean, this is a beast, John. <laughs> what, what, you're, what you're doing and what you're achieving is, is incredible to bring all these people together. Um, we're seeing everything we've just talked about for the last 20 minutes, all encapsulated in this one project. It's about collaboration. It's about uh, innovation. It's about curiosity. It's about sharing. It's about supporting each other through challenges. It's everything, in, and it's our North Star, as I, I keep calling it, the North Star of everything. <laughs> um, so I'm really excited about it. But 
could you share a little bit about one where the idea came from what kind of pulled you to do this and and and, and motivate you to bring this all together uh, and a little bit about the vision of what you're trying to achieve with the the project and i don't want to just call it an event because i know it's much more than just an event no i appreciate that and yeah i mean so this goes back, I mean, the start of anthropy, and I don't know how much your listeners will know of it, but it'll, it'll come out. But the start I've, been, of I've, been, I've been banging on about it since yeah. we started. <laughs> well, I mean, the fact was that uh, after the first year of COVID, um, I was looking back as somebody who's been involved for almost three decades, the interface of, between business and society, and looking at the way in which business impacts on society. And I looked back over that first year and saw with horror the obvious economic implications that the lockdowns had, but also, excuse me, also the social implications on things like the education of our young people, the burden on the health service, et cetera, et cetera, mental health issues, et cetera. And I thought, my goodness, you know, here is the country facing the biggest dilemma that I've known in my life. Um, and how are we going to get through this? How are we going to, to use that phrase, build back better? Now, at the same time, I had my latest book coming out, and the forward for that was written by Klaus Schwab, who's the founder of the World Economic Forum, who has his great annual gathering at Davos that people will have heard of. And that forward was sent to me for final approval, and I was reading that, and I thought, well, actually, you know, here we have the global elite coming together to look at the big issues in the world, but where is the gathering that brings our business leaders, but not just the big business leaders, but business leaders in communities, young entrepreneurs, people who are running charities, social entrepreneurs, people from the public sector and the arts and the media, where is the gathering for that to actually say, how the hell do we get this country back onto a firm footing? How do we help the next generation the next 30 years of developing a more prosperous, equitable and sustainable society. And so when I shared that with a few people, they said, look, John, you know, you're well connected. You've got the energy. We're with you if you can help do that. So that is how I then decided to base it at a strange location that's never been used for this before, which is the Eden project, the big environmental project in Cornwall. And then really open out to people like yourself and others who could see the need for this in this country to have a new place to come together with bright ideas to try and change what i call the national narrative so to go back to what you were saying earlier alex you know we can't all be despondent all the time we have to accept what's wrong in the world or in our country we have to be positive and optimistic about how we take forward. If you take any of the indices, global indices on the quality of life in the world, Britain actually features very, very highly. So yes, we have major issues, we have poverty and we have big social concerns, et cetera. But we are also blessed to be in a country that is very sophisticated in its social support, its health service, its legal service. You know, we are very fortunate, but we can, do better and we can do better for the next generation so that's what this gathering that's how it arose it has as you say become a bit of a beast we have mm -hmm. 160 sessions over three days we have 300 speakers we're you know i've had to go out and raise raised about five hundred and fifty thousand in the last three months I wow. another hundred thousand in the next two months but i hope the impact of this will be to get people to put aside what perhaps separates them. So put aside politics for a moment, put aside all those things we may disagree on. And let's try and get around and have some really interesting new ideas about things we can collectively agree on, like the future of our education, 
the need for our health service. You know, how do we foster entrepreneurs that will come up with new solutions and things of that kind? So, yeah, it's only two months away. It's now getting slightly <laughs> you know, in the but with the help of people like yourself and perhaps, you know, motivating people that listen to this sort of podcast and others, we can reshape and offer some hope for the rest of the country. That's what I'm trying to do. Amazing, amazing. And I remember at, um, at the event that we had at um, Digital Catapult, because it was around the time, it was really perfect timing. Well, depends how you look at it. It's also alarming. Um, all of the stuff that was happening politically in our country. And I think that's one of the things that's really, I don't know, inspired me massively is to say, well, actually, look, I want a 30 year strategy. When I'm talking about business, when we're talking about our, we, we spend this time talking about purpose and you know, having a vision for ourselves, having a vision for our businesses, having a vision for our communities. I don't want to talk about two years, three years, four years. I want to talk about 30 years. We should be able to align to a 30 year strategy. Wouldn't it be wonderful? And I'm putting this out there. Maybe I'm going too far, but what, wouldn't it be wonderful if our government was off the back of this? to align to what we come up with in the, for the next 30 years or some of what we come up with or some of those strands. Would that be wonderful? Well, I mean, you know, certainly I think one of the key things is to try and affect what I call the three Ps. So we want people to go away and we want them to think about the way in which they could affect their own practices. So you might be inspired when you listen to somebody to go back and think, actually, I can, I can go and employ ex-offenders or I can employ people with Alzheimer's or whatever. Change the practices so that you become a more inclusive business or whatever. Practices was the first thing to change. The second was partnerships. So we go back to the word I talked about. I do believe, and, and you've seen some of this, bring people together. You don't know how those ideas and things are going to come out. And collaborative and partnership activity we hope to inspire to come up with solutions. The third one is very much affecting policy. So, if, and we do have some senior politicians coming, but if we can affect people in terms of them going back thinking actually we might need to change the policy or we should bring these people in to talk about our policy and understand better in this way, or have longer term policies that could even be passed from government to government. I mean, it takes if you take the education and training of a doctor in a hospital, it takes seven years to train. Yet that is longer than any prime minister that we have had or any government we've had since Tony Blair. Wow. So how can you ever get consistency of policies if governments and prime ministers and things are changing all the time? We need to have some more thoughtful, longer term thinking around some of these big, big issues and we also need to build those partnerships between business and government. You know, I mean, the water situation at the moment is appalling in this country. It's, it's a disgrace. Um, and it's a disgrace, I, I might say, where you have, you know, leaders of companies invited in with golden handshakes of millions of pounds, and then they fail, and they're given millions of pounds because they failed to go. It's crazy. It's so crazy. Yeah, energy and water bills, et cetera, going up. So we could all get hung up because that is politic, that's politics not working, that is government not working, that is the private sector not working. So I don't have the solutions to any of these things. The only thing that I'm trying to do is to get people together to think differently about these things. Well, you're doing that and, um, and, I, and I applaud it. And, um, and I know, we, my, you know my hope is that we can bring as you know right from the start i've been a huge advocate for getting young people involved in these conversations 
as, as and, and trying to scale this conversation because we want to avoid the overwhelm and that kind of disenfranchised mindset to say actually look look how inspiring these things are happening around our country because it's amazing if you look deep into our communities there's so many amazing things going on and it's, it's incredible so i want to say thank you john and i want to say well done because it's it's a no no short feat it's an absolutely amazing project i'm really proud to be part of it well thanks alex but it is a huge joint effort as you may i mean hundreds of people have been involved and uh, you know again it's an it's an illustration of what partnership has the potential to make things happen. Absolutely. Can I get you what one so one quick word on on education. <laughs> so we're um, one of the, the key uh, demographics of people that we aspire to help uh, as a as a community interest company um, are those uh, like myself, who uh, academic education just did not work out for us. It's just not the way we learn. Um, it, it just isn't it wasn't for us, right. And you know, reports coming out, you know, one in five um, are leaving academic education with no academic qualification at all, and then only to then be offered more academic options, um, which just doesn't make sense to us. So as entrepreneurs, like the role entrepreneurship could play in our education system. Do you have any thoughts around, could we introduce that earlier? Because I mean, I've got a son who's now 19 years old. I remember when he was 12, um, I used to reward him for being creative. So I wouldn't reward him for doing chores. Uh, you know, if he did something creative, I would reward him for that. Those little touches like that really help in terms of my own experience as a father. Um, but with your exposure to the volumes of organizations that you've worked with and government and charities and all of the things that you've experienced, what role do you think entrepreneurship can play um, in the future education system? So if we go back, it's a very good question. If we go back to what I said, which is, I don't always link entrepreneurship with business. I see it as a mindset. I mean, out of, out of my 40 years of working life, um, I've actually only been in the private sector for about 17 or so, probably let's say half of that. The rest has been in either the army, public sector or whatever. But if you take the qualities of being entrepreneurial in a mindset, that is applicable anywhere. So coming up with a solution, finding it, you know, we need entrepreneurs in the NHS. Oh, God, yeah. But people with an entrepreneurial creative mindset, with innovative thinking, et cetera, et cetera, we need them across the board. So how do you foster that? Now, I absolutely am with you. I did not, I, I was not a good academic. I mean, I never went to university. There's no way a university would have me. I left with a few A-levels, which allowed me to get a job in those days with the bank and then in the army but they were all grade E A-levels. I don't even know if they issue a grade E nowadays. So <laughs> in those days, it was different times, you know, and you could get in there and do that. So I feel for you in that, well, I feel for anybody in that way where our school system has been designed primarily to get you onto a track, to get you into a job. I don't think it does foster creativity. I don't think it fosters innovative solution finding things like that, sadly which means that actually if you come out of school at an early age then certainly I think we need to change things internally. I have created in the past under the patronage of the Prince of Wales a national enterprise competition for secondary schools which allowed young people to compete in running a tech business and they thoroughly enjoyed it and it fostered that idea of that. But I think that you know my concern and I, I'm not close to schools as I was probably a decade ago but my concern generally is that when I think about where I really started to learn and hone those skills 
um, for me, it actually wasn't in the first few years of my working life. The bank, I was there for about three years, was very formulaic. So you're in a box, you did what you did, you learned how to do it. That's good disciplines and things. But I had the great fortune of going into the army, which then trained me and gave me the experiences to see a situation, come up with a, su a suggested solution, learn to communicate that and then execute it. And that applied me, you know, that's applied ever since I came out. And I think what young people need sometimes is a framework to have basically that learning opportunity in a different environment. Now that could be through volunteering, it could be through apprentice schemes, it could be through anything, but schools don't seem, I'm sure there are exceptions, I'm sure those that know better will talk me down on this, but I don't get a sense that those are the priorities in schools. They might be the add-ons mm. because I think everybody's so strict and we have such issues now catching up post-COVID that it's all about ticking boxes and getting certain subjects taught. Education, if you think about it, it's not about learning a subject. It's about learning yourself how to do something, how you solve an issue or a problem. And uh, I think that comes through life experiences more so than anything. I'm not sure I've answered your question there. No, you have. You have. You, you've talked about entrepreneurship in the same way that we celebrate it. It's a, it's a form of creativity. It's a discipline. It's a way of life. And it's a, it's a way of society and communities using that mindset to come together to support each other, whether that be a, a personal endeavor um, uh, or, a, or a business uh, yeah. itself. I would, I would just add one thing. I was just thinking back there. You've got me thinking about the bank. I'll give you one illustration, which was probably that early, because both my parents were retailers. My grandparents were retailers. I remember you saying, yeah, I remember you saying. But when I was in the bank, one thing I do say to people is when you're in a job like that, then find out where your boundaries are and then make sure you go beyond the boundaries. So I remember very early on, um, I was, in those days, very few computers. I was looking up some records of clients and I realized that there was a very big deposit, very big amount of money on a current account, showed no interest years ago. And uh, this was in the early 80s. And I looked and I saw several examples of these. So in my own time, basically, I researched this. And in my own time, I put together a little bit of a report which you'll all laugh at because I had to go home and type it on a typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? What, is, what do you mean? <laughs> and, uh, anyway, I gave it to the manager and they were so impressed that uh, they were so impressed that I just offered, I mean, they explained why some of this was the case and they were intrigued by some and they contacted some customers, blah, blah, blah. But they were so impressed by the fact that this was not in my job. It was way above. It was just something I'd done on my own initiative that they then put me onto a course, which was a sort of fast track management course and a marketing course, uh, which, you know, I went off to do. I mean, it didn't work because I was still bored with banking and then went to of join course, the yeah. The reason I cite it is because there was an illustration where just going beyond the job and doing something extra, not because I thought anything would come of it, but I was intrigued. The curiosity question led to a new opportunity. And if I'd have stayed in the bank, who knows, I could be running Lloyd's Bank Max or all that. Well, I don't doubt it. Check. But, you know, the reality is, whatever stage you're in, whatever job you've got, people look for those that go beyond the job. And curiosity is key at that point. Lovely. What a, what a message to finish, finish on. You'd you think John's been in marketing or something before, you know, you've got to bang on the, on the money there for us. Um, really appreciate it, John. Well, look, I'm going to wrap up there. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I, I really do appreciate you 
And, and if anyone wants to find out more about anthropy, please do follow. Well, you're going to hear enough of it about about it in the next couple of months and the build up to it. But also, uh, feel free to to reach out and uh, reach out to the anthropy team. Go to the website anthropy.uk. Is that right, John? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Anthropy.uk, and uh, you'll follow on from there. I don't doubt this is going to be uh, absolutely everything that John describes it to be, um, and I'm really excited to be part of it myself. So thank you again, John. Well, thank you, Alex. It's been a great pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking to you, but it's uh, it's a great way to uh, think again about how important entrepreneurialism is. So thanks for inviting me. Top man.